Good morning, church. My name's Mick, and I'm a missionary. I used to not know that that was a little bit strange for people. Some people have never actually met a real-life missionary. They've only ever heard the term. I know that you probably have because this is a great church. You're one of the greatest mission-giving churches and leading churches in the convention, and we appreciate that because I work with you and for you because the offerings that you give support us and support our families, our family, and I'm going to weave this in my message today. But like I said, I'm a missionary, and I didn't know before that. It was just kind of weird to some people until we had been out as missionaries in Ukraine. We went to Ukraine 25 years ago and landed October 14, 1994. And we were there for four years, and then we come back to the States, and we're back for an amount of time to do some studying, you know, some, some regrouping, getting ready, learning more, sharing in churches and so forth. Well, I was sharing in a church in Texas a lot like this. And they had a welcome visitor time just like you do. My name had been on the sign in the front of the church. It was in the bulletin. People were supposed to know who we were. And my family was with me with three teenage boys, all blonde-headed. My wife's a tall, blonde-headed Texan. And we were there. <clears throat> the church was a little bit larger than than yours, but it was it was informal like this. It was awesome. They had a rockin' music time. And we were back there and we were about a third of the way back over there, just in a crowd, a lot of people. And they had the welcome visitors time and people were moving around, hugging, talking to each other, welcoming each other. And nobody said anything to any of us. So the choir they had a choir and they had about finished the welcome song. Everybody was back in their places. So I tapped the lady in front of me on the shoulder. I said, Good morning. We're the Stockwells. We're the missionaries. And she turned around, leaned back, looked at me, and she said, well, you look normal to me. <laughs> so I just want you to know that I'm bona fide, certified normal, so you can just have a big, relaxed breathe out right now. <sighs> okay? Because believe me, I just fit in right here with you folks. You may have noticed that I have just a little bit different accent. I would say something like Bar Harbor instead of Bahaba, right? And I don't know how to park the car. Those kind of things, I'm sorry. It's even fun because I speak Russian. I'm fluent in Russian, but I speak with a little bit of an accent. But, hey, what are we going to do? All of us have an accent, believe it or not. I want to share with you the adventure of what it means that we work together because just like, just like worship is more than a song, missions is more than just an offering, all right? And it's actually more than just praying. It's about what we do together. It's not about me. I've been in churches before where well-meaning people walk up to me and say, man, I could just never do what you do. And so I'm giving my money so you can go do what you do. And I look at them, I say, you're not dead yet. And they're like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm not, right? So it's about what we all do and how we contribute. And I want to take you to a place in Scripture that shares that, that with us. And, and I want you to see where our motivation comes from. It doesn't come from guilt. It doesn't come from us trying to pay for somebody else. It comes from just being motivated by the Holy Spirit, the power of God's Word. Let's look in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 to 19. And this has just become where my life resonates from because it so empowers us. And by the way, as you know, we're not like others. We happen to have this name called Baptist. And you're going to read this verse and you go, oh, that's not our verse. It belongs to the Catholics. But it is ours. And we're going to take it somewhere today. So I'll tell you this. You're Peter. And upon this rock, 
I will build my church. Now, your pastors already explained that to you, and pastors in the past, you know this, that it's a play on words. You're Peter, the little rock, and he points to himself and says, but on this rock, I will build my church. And what happens with that church? And the gates of hell themselves cannot prevail against it. But he says something really interesting here. He says, and I give you the keys to the kingdom. That's not just to Peter, that's to all of us. And he's using the you here for all the disciples to stand in there. Now, what do you know about the disciples? Let me ask you this. Were the disciples, were they brain surgeons? Were they rocket scientists? No. I'm looking around this crowd, and I think I'm seeing just a, a bunch of regular people, right? Aren't we regular people? It was regular people just like us. These guys here, they weren't rocket scientists. They weren't brain surgeons. Or we know what they were. They were like fishermen. Jesus himself had been, a, had been a carpenter. Some of them were tax collectors. And some of them had really been sinners. Is there anybody in here, you don't have to raise your hand, you used to be a sinner. You know what it likes to have sinned. And you got saved and God set you free. And guess what? Jesus is looking at you just like he's looking at them. and says, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Man, what? What an, what an incredible message. So we're going to walk through this. Now, you may be wondering, Mick, why did you go to Ukraine? Now, I've got to ask you this with raised hands. How many of you actually can remember the Soviet Union? Can I see your hand? Enough of you in here, and then after church, you can explain to the youngest what in the world the Soviet Union means. For us, during our time, it was, it was the country with whom we were at war. It was a Cold War. But, we had missiles targeted each other, hundreds of missiles, and at any point, one person could have gone and pushed a button, and the whole world would have seen nothing but rockets flying in the air, landing and exploding and creating complete nuclear holocaust. That's what I grew up in. We grew up in fear, fear that somebody was going to push a button and there was going to be all-out nuclear holocaust. Now, I remember as a little boy... Growing up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Most of you don't know what that is, but it's on the Mississippi River, and it's full of petrochemical, oil refineries, and all that. And we knew that we were a major target. I'm so happy that in school, in the 60s, I was taught something really important. I was taught that if somebody pushed the button, rockets started flying, and all of a sudden, we would see this huge flash of light, this plume and mushroom cloud and this wind just come fiery wind just come and wipe everything out all we had to do to be safe and secure was just just roll right there under our little wooden desk and there we were <laughs> now that is a plan i'm a big believer in planning that's what we were taught to do and also as i was a little boy last of five kids I loved sports, and when I came home from school, the first thing I did was just running out the house with my basketball or my football to go, to go play sports. And I'd come back in at dark 30, and I have those little, little dirty beads under my neck, you know, and I'd come running in the house and ready for dinner. And a lot of times we had, back then, you only got the news certain times a day. It wasn't on all the time. And they had the nightly news. And I remember walking by there, and sometimes I would hear these words, live via Telstar from Red Square in Moscow, Russia. And they would, some of you shaking your heads, and they'd be these parades with thousands of soldiers and red banners. And they showed off their rockets and missiles and jet fighters and tanks. And their whole thing was world domination. Either they were going to take over the world with godless, atheistic 
communism or we were going to take over the world by being good, humanitarian, give people a choice, democracy, and you can vote and be in charge of, you, of your own lives. It was that simple. We also watched the Olympics. Back then, the Olympics, man, it was the, it was the U.S. and the Russians. That's what it was going to be. And they, we would watch with the big, burly Russian athletes and the bigger, burly Russian women athletes. <laughs> who's going to win the Olympics? Who's going to show who's the best and most powerful nation? And we knew we were, supposed to hate, we were supposed to hate those godless communists who hated God and hated everything about us, and they were atheists. But you know what happened to me? I was in a church like this as a kid growing up, and our pastor invited a couple of speakers when I was a child. And they were Russian. They had Russian accent. And they told story how they grew up in atheism. Had no Bible as boy. Then after war, they were given chance. They read Bible, heard about Jesus, accept gospel, and now they preach gospel to people and now pray for country, pray for old country, Mother Russia. And I read books as a teenager called God Smuggler, Brother Andrew, and another one called Tortured for His Faith. And I read and understood about communism, how just like we are today, they could not meet in church freely. They couldn't carry a Bible. They couldn't own a Bible. How pastors were sent off to Siberia, how thousands and thousands were literally put to death for their faith. And instead of hating those Russians and instead of hating those communists, I began to pray and I began to ask God, God, God. How can I be a part of that? And I began to pray for that part of the world. When I would see them on television, I would love them. I said, God, I want to share the gospel there. We had an interesting thing happen in the 80s. We had a bold president. His name Ronald Reagan. And you know what he said? He stood at the Berlin Wall. There was literally a wall there between the East and West. And we call it the Iron Curtain between us, where communism and atheists lived, and between us, where freedom was, and we could share the gospel and preach the gospel. And he stood at that wall and he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear that wall down. We thought he was crazy. And the greatest miracle in our time for hundreds of years, we watched that imaginary Iron Curtain fall. And all of a sudden, 40 countries, 400 million people, for the first time, many of them in 70 years had access to the gospel. And we went in there and started sharing the gospel, started bringing Bibles, started building churches, developing seminaries, developing leaders. And I got, I got to go there in 1990 on one of the first mission trips in the former Soviet Union. And, and we did a crusade in a stadium. With, there was another preacher. I went there to help. And I remember sitting on the steps of the hotel where we were staying and just remember the Holy Spirit just covering me and saying, Nick, I'm calling you to this part of the world. And there is nothing more exciting than when you know what God is calling you and empowering you to do. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait, 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 wait. You went to where? We went to Kiev, Ukraine. It's only 70 miles from Chernobyl, the site of the world's worst ever nuclear accident. They still talk about it today. So I got, I got a wife got three little boys at that time they were 11 9 and 6 and people would ask me they'd say Mick what are you doing isn't Kiev right near Chernobyl what about the radiation what are you gonna do about that it's fine for you to go you're ugly and we don't care but what 
what are you doing with your beautiful wife and these kids? You know, and I, I'm an optimist. You know, I just said, well, it's good and bad and everything. The good is, I guess, once they're out there playing the street, stir up a little bit of radiation, you know, it, they'll be easy to find in the dark, right? <laughs> so, and I just want you to know, our boys grew up there, and we've got nothing but glowing reports about them all the rest of their lives. So, <laughs> this is our story. This is how God brought us to that part of the world. And it's so exciting. I'm so grateful that starting 25 years ago, churches like this, the offerings that you make to the cooperative program, the Lighty Moon, have supported us and sustained us and got our kids there from, from start to finish. I want to take you through this, this chapter. This is, like, this is a setup time where Jesus is walking with his disciples. I just want you to imagine that you're walking alongside of them. You're there, and you're hearing Jesus, and he's saying his words to you. And watch how Jesus takes the events of the day and turns them into this culminating moment where he, the king of the universe, the creator and sustainer of the universe, on a hillside there in the middle of nowhere, looks at his disciples and says, look, this is what I'm here for is to build my church around the world. The gates of hell can't prevail against it, and I give you the keys. Can you imagine being a fisherman or a carpenter or a tax collector? And Jesus says, listen, man, this is my worldwide conquest. Here, here's the keys. You drive it from here. Think about it. Imagine that. So let's look at the way it starts. In, in verse 1, this is the way he begins. And he says, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we know who they were. They were the lead, religious leaders of the time who didn't really care for Jesus. And they tested him. And they asked him to show them a sign for heaven. Now, Jesus had already been all around. Show us a sign from heaven. He's already been all around. He's raised people from the dead. He's just finished feeding thousands of people on a hillside. He's walked on the water. He's calmed the storm. He's, he has healed all kind of sick people of all kind of diseases. They're asking for their own special sign. He didn't like it. And he said this, when it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather today for the sky is red. And in the morning, it'll be stormy weather today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. In other words, you say, hey, all you got to do is look around. Look what's been happening. Look what I've already done. The Messiah is here. Things have changed. It's time to move on. Here is the glimpse of the vision that we should have. Now, where do our ministries start in this church? Where do they start? The simplest ministry where it starts is just us sharing our faith. I saw some things on the bulletin board, several things about who's your one and some other training that you're doing. Often, we think too much about sharing our faith about what we tell instead of about what we hear. I want to tell you this. People give you opportunities to witness to them all the time, and we just we overlook it. We don't notice it. In my role with the IMB, I have to travel a lot. And every time I travel, every time I go to get on an airplane, people ask me to witness to them. Isn't that weird? They do. Because as I hand them my bags and I'm checking in, somebody behind that counter always goes, Mr. Stockwell, what's your final destination? <laughs> right? Today I'm going to Boston. But my final destination is heaven. And do you know that I've actually had people ask me about that? Especially on the plane itself, the person I'm sitting next to. Oh, what's your final destination? And I get to share it with them. Have some of the most intriguing opportunities to talk with people. The other thing is, 
People tell you stuff when they're talking, that you, when you're listening. Usually if people complain about something, that's an incredible opportunity. And people complain a lot, don't they? It's an incredible opportunity. You say, hey, I hear that. You repeat their name back. You say, now, what's your mom's name? If they're talking about their mom's in the hospital. Or what's your brother's name? And then you say, listen, man, God answers a lot of my prayers. I'm nobody special. But I just want you to know the Lord lives in me and walks with me. Could I pray for you? You take that opportunity. If they respond to that, you go further. If they don't, ta don't take your big old Bible and bang them on the head with it. <laughs> Keep it in mind. The next time you see them, say, hey, how's your mom? I've been praying for her. That's the way we build those relationships. Then some of us get to be involved in different ministries. We get to do things like we did, where the Berlin Wall fell, and all of a sudden 400 million people needed to hear the gospel. It was so exciting for me the first time I went. I went to Red Square. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it, it's just incredible. And at that time, it was still the Soviet Union. They still had the changing of the guards and soldiers doing the goose step and all that. But inside is the mausoleum where Lenin, the father of Soviet communism, lies in state. They still got his body in there, you know, just all waxed up. And you walk in there and look at him and stuff like that. And I went through there, and you're supposed to keep absolute silence, right? Soldiers there with Kalishnikovs, absolute silence. You know, they're, they're all dressed up and everything. So I walk through there, and I see Lenin. Hey, Lennon, you're like real dead, but I'm here, and I got my Bible, and we're going all over the Soviet Union, and we're sharing the gospel, we're passing out Bibles, we're going to build churches, and you know what he said to me? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Man, what an adventure to be a part of that. You know what? It's an adventure follow God and you get to go to these places and starting right here now this is the time of year is it not Thanksgiving's coming up in a couple of weeks and you got your weird uncle and you got your cousin are you like me I got a couple of brothers and one of them's my other brother right and man it's just that time with family you know where you pull them aside and, and you ask them hey how can I pray for you how you doing that's where it starts young people I see some of you here I know it's hard. Listen, I'm a missionary, right? And I get paid to do what I do. And, and after all, I'm in it for the money, right? But <laughs> some, some of you, look, you, you don't get paid to do this. And you might be a little bit afraid. Man, the scariest place is right there at your locker or at the dinner, right there at the dinner. Or if you play sports or at the table, uh, you know, at lunchroom or or in the band room or the choir room or in class or whatever. But I'm telling you, man, your friends are struggling. And they talk about stuff out loud. What's the main thing they talk about is their parents, right? I mean, who, you know, everybody's griping about their parents. Man, it's an incredible opportunity for when you hear their problems, for you to say, hey, let me pray for you. Let me share with you. And, and just start being real with them. That's where it starts. So the first thing that we need is vision. We need the vision to open up our eyes and see and hear the world around us. And where is God inviting me to be a part of these lives and to share my faith? So the first thing. Vision. We just got to open up our eyes. We got we to see what happens. Now, let's look in verse 5. Let's skip to verse 5. Now, Jesus told his disciples, get in the boat. By the, by the way, if Jesus asks you to get in a boat, always be a little bit careful about that, right? Because you never know. You might end up walking on water. But he said, the disciples reached the other side. He had told them to get in a boat. And they realized that they had forgotten to bring any bread. 
And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing among themselves. They said, uh-oh, it's because we didn't bring any bread. This right here is where it proves. By the way, if you want to know if disciples were Baptists, they were. This is where it proves it. Why? Because they had to have a fellowship meal everywhere they went, right? Do you do anything without eating? Right? Now, I grew up in church a long time ago when it was old school. And you guys remember old school stuff. You didn't cater stuff. You didn't have a kitchen at the church. What happens, like you had sandwiches. So like for any kind of youth fellowship or event, young people, you're not going to believe this, what they used to do. They'd call the parents and they'd ask. And this was with regular phones, dial-up rotary phones. And so they'd ask the parents, you're like, what? Okay, your parents will explain it to you, maybe show it to you on the Internet. Look it up after church, dial-up rotary phone. So there we were. They, they would call around the parents, and some parents were like, send a bag of chips, send a bag of cookies, and they'd ask some parents to make a loaf of sandwiches. And so they'd make them. So some parents would make tuna fish, some make ham and cheese, peanut butter and jelly was always good. And if parents, if moms got really industrious, what they would do is that they would cut off the crust and, and cut an X like that, and there were these beautiful little triangles, and they'd lay them out and put them. One time we had a fellowship, junior high kids. We went to Leah Valet's house. It was a beautiful spring day. We're out in her backyard, and we had all these sandwiches, seventh and eighth grade, and you know what they're like, right? So I was one of those, one of those, really, for real. And so there we were with this pile of sandwiches. We ate everything, but some lady had made pimento cheese. I just need for you to know, Junior high kids do not eat pimento cheese. They don't know what a pimento is, and it scares them, right? <laughs> so we ate everything, and here's this beautiful pile of these pimento cheese triangles. And so one of us looked at us, what are we going to do, man? I don't know, man. I ain't eating them, you know? They had this big, huge St. Bernard dog. And before long, one of us said, I wonder if the dog will eat them. <laughs> Handed the dog, and he liked it. Before long, that dog literally, I'm not lying, was running across the patio out back, and somebody was tossing him up in the air. He was catching him, and he'd eat him, and he'd run to the other side of the patio, get to the grass, flip around as fast as he could, and here he came back in the air. He ate that whole loaf of pimento cheese. Two days later, they found him dead in the bushes. Pimento cheese will kill you. <laughs> so the di disciples are talking and saying, we brought no bread. And Jesus said something to them that you never want to hear. He looked at them and said, oh, ye of little faith. You got no faith. Wow. You don't ever want to hear that. Man, you don't want to hear that. Oh, ye of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you don't have any bread? Don't you perceive? Don't you understand? How would we say it? Don't you get it? He's like, don't you get it? Don't you remember the five loaves and the 5,000? And how many baskets of leftovers you gathered? Or the seven loaves for 4,000, how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand? I'm not talking to you about bread. I'm telling you to be, oh, beware of the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What's the yeast? Yeast what you got to have in bread, right? If you don't put enough, what do you got? You got bread you can use for the Lord's Supper, right? If you put too much, it just explodes. It won't hold together. It's not any good. It's just way too, it's all fluff and no stuff. If you put too much yeast. 
Then they understood. Boy, it's great when Jesus says something to you and all of a sudden you go, oh, wow, I get it. Man, that's a great time. They understood. He didn't tell them to beware of the leaven and the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What was so bad about them? You know that a lot of these teachers, man, they had the entire first five books of the Old Testament memorized. That's some serious religious work there. They quoted long prayers. They gave their tithes, their money. They even had special outfits. They sat around in court and decided the Bible. And what did the Bible mean? They gave their whole lives to this. What was wrong with them? I'll tell you what's wrong. Here are the kind of things that they had and we don't want to happen in our church right here. They had no kingdom vision. The kingdom came and they didn't even see it. That's number one. God's at work around you. He's at work at you and your home and what you do. And around your friends and the people you work with. And you don't have a kingdom vision to see it. Wake up. You don't want to be like the Pharisees and Sadducees. You want to have a vision where you say, God's at work and I want to join him. I want to be a part of it. The second thing was legalism. Man, I'm telling you, legalism will kill you. Legalism makes you afraid and negative and paralyzed. And I've seen that before. You don't do anything when you're sitting around thinking, okay, I got a bunch of rules. This is what I got to do and I'm never stepping out the box. Legalism says, here's your little box. Stay inside of there. Rituals and traditions trumped true religion. And if I can imagine their synagogue, instead of a baptistry up here where they were trying to reach people for Christ and baptize people and make disciples, they had a big old tablet up in front and everything about it said was negative. No, stop it, quit it, don't have fun, don't have any vision, don't go out there and do something creative. What were they all about? That little bitty box of legalism. And here's the other one. They were willing to settle for a reward on earth. What people would say about them at their funeral, about how good they were and how smart they were and how they'd memorize the first five books of the Bible instead of their impact on a lost world for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, beware. Don't be like that. The second thing that we need is we need faith because faith is the fuel for our adventure. We need faith. It fuels our adventure because it's not about us. It's not about the song we sing. It's about the chorus of worship that comes through us, through faith in Christ, and He equips us and empowers us and gives us everything that we need. Now let's look to verse 13, 16. You probably know these verses. Now Jesus had came in the district of Caesarea Philippi, and they were, they were walking through here. And He asked him a question. You know what it is. Who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, although John the Baptist has been, just been put to death. Others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Now listen, all the religions of the world, all the people out there, they're willing to tell you that Jesus, he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He did some good things. He cared about people. He healed people. You know, we don't know for sure, but they at least would say something positive about Jesus himself. But you know what they are usually not ready to say, and certainly other religions aren't ready to say, is that he's God's son. He's the only one. He's the only way to heaven. He's the one who stood up and said, you know what? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can get to, get to God but by me. And right away, the disciples were telling people, there's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved because it's important. All roads don't lead to heaven. And it's not that we're arrogant by any means. 
All we are is telling people, you know, we didn't know what to do with our sin. We didn't have a way that we could be good enough. We couldn't earn our way to heaven. And Jesus died and paid the penalty, and we receive him. And that's why the gospel is so good. The gospel is good. And this is what it's about. And so Jesus asked them this. He's, remember, he's setting it up before he gives, gives them the keys. What question did he ask them? Then he asked them right here, but you. Who do you say that I am? He's getting ready to send them out on the adventure of serving him and taking the gospel to the whole world. But he didn't ask them this. He didn't say, hey, Stephen, how smart are you? Hey, Stephen, how good looking are you? Hey, Stephen, how much education do you have? He doesn't ask you those questions. When we see God calling us to something, all of a sudden we begin to think, uh-oh, am I good enough? Can I talk to my neighbor? Do I know enough? To share my faith. Do I have all of this memorized? He doesn't ask you that. When he calls you to walk alongside of him. And join him in his adventure. When he offers you the keys. Some of us look inside and we say. Uh oh. Do I have the talents? The abilities? Do I have the personal gifting? You know what missionaries do? We sit around and talk about strategy. What's my strategy? We got to have a plan and it's got to be creative and it's got to be smart and it's full of buzzwords you know what jesus didn't ask us hey what's your strategy what cool buzzwords do you use he asked one simple question and when he calls you this is the foundational question this is the foundation that we do all ministry from who is jesus to you is jesus the creator and sustainer of the universe is he the one who emptied himself of everything God and came here and lived a perfect life, paid the penalty for your sin on the cross, brought the Holy Spirit to you, gives you the keys of the kingdom and says, you go out and you follow me and you join me in this adventure. And guess what? Before he left, I will be with you until the ends of the earth to the very end of time. You know, the problem is some of us think that anything about this is about us. And it's not. It's all about him that calls us. That's our foundation. It's not about our education, not about our talents, not about our strategy. And guess what it's not even about? Even though this is time for world mission offerings. It's not about money. Often the first question of our mouths. When people ask us about a ministry or we start talking about a ministry, who's going to pay for it, right? The creator and sustainer of this universe is going to pay for it. If he's called you and takes you alongside and tells you to do that and gives you the keys, he's not just giving you the keys, he's giving the vehicle to take somewhere, right? And he's going to pay for it. So that's the foundation. And the last thing I want, I want to close with, let's look in verses 18 and 19, and we've already talked about this. He said this. This is where I want you to hear this. I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, he points at himself, on this rock. I'll build my church. And that's what it's about all around the world. It's people gathering like this, worshiping, being discipled and trained and sent out to change the world. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I give you the keys to the kingdom. Let, let me relate this to us. Let me ask you this. How many of you have gotten your driver's license recently? Anybody in here within the last couple of years? Anybody gotten your driver's license? How many going to get it soon? Anybody? How many hope you'll get a driver's license one day? Good. How many of you have, 
have been parents in a home where you got teenagers and you've had a child grow up and get their driver's license in your home. Can I see? Yeah, you know about this time, don't you? Well, they go through driver's ed or they go through a course or different things like that. You take them there and somebody tells them, yep, you're bona fide. Here's your driver's license and you can drive. So you celebrate. You either go to a restaurant or you go home, whatever. You celebrate it and then there comes this moment. When this baby of yours, who you're still seeing waddling around the house in diapers, walks up and they say this, they got this question, they got this request. Mom, Dad, can I have the keys? And man, you're sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> what, what have I done? <laughs> oh, wow. Right? And you're thinking about that $50,000 SUV and, uh, you know, you wreck it or, you know, scratch the fender or something, whatever but they say, Mom, Dad, can I have the keys? And you know what? To them, it represents adventure. It represents freedom. And even though the first time they get in the car, the first few times, and they start that engine, their knees are shaking like that. And they drive out. And that first time that they do it, Mom and Dad go to the end of the driveway, and they're standing there, and they're hugging, and they're in tears, and they're crying. And that child drives away and sees the most beautiful sight in the world in the rearview mirror, and that's their parents left behind. <laughs> <laughs> but man that young person they it's it's an adventure and they'll drive anywhere they'll take their little siblings to soccer practice or football practice or school or vacation bible school or pick them up i mean the first the first few months man they'll do anything to get to drive folks i'm telling you that telling you this man when jesus was up on that hill and he had those keys those disciples man they were ready to see the kingdom I give you the keys of the kingdom. Yeah, they were nervous. Yeah, their knees were shaking. I give you the keys to the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom, the gates of hell will not prevail. Here they are. But you know, it's up to us to respond and to take those keys. The keys represent going forward, not just sitting here, not just waiting, but it's knowing that foundation of Jesus, having a vision, seeing the world around us, stepping out in faith, getting ready to follow him. And I want to give you the best example of that in our family that I can. When we got ready to go to the mission field, our oldest son was 11 years old, and I had been a youth minister, a great church in Texas. We were rocking. We were having the time of my life. And it's all my son could remember is his dad being a youth minister, all these great kids having a great time, going on all kinds of adventures and stuff. One day, his mom, he and his mom were together in our little Astro minivan, and they were driving off the property and just before we were getting ready to go through the process with the mission board. And he looks at his mom and says, Mom, we're just going to do this like for a couple of years, right? And then we're going to come back here to Northwest, and, and, and Dad's going to be my youth minister, and I'm going to grow up in the youth ministry here at Houston Northwest, which is all he ever knew. His mom said, No, son. We believe this is this great adventure. It's a long time calling. And that little 11-year-old boy just burst out in tears and hit just gut-wrenching sobs. His mom put the car, put the Astro van in park, looked over there at him and said, Son, I know what you're talking about. This is scary for us. But God has called us, and we trust him, and we believe him. But he's, but mom, but mom, what, what about youth ministry? I'm not going to have a youth ministry. I don't know what it's like. It's just busting out crying. She's crying, and they're praying. She said, but son, God's going to do something. 
Don't you worry about it. I promise you. We'll be there with you. So we went over there, and within the first few years, he really noticed there was no such thing as ministry to teenagers. They had it for, they had it for college-age students and for young adults, but nothing for teenagers. Can you imagine that? And he began to pray, and he began to prepare. He, began, he was listening to everything we were talking about. He was involved in ministry. He got really good at Russian language. And then we, we came back on a stateside. On a stateside assignment, and we were in the States for a year. And at one point, we were at this big thing where they had a big meeting. We were in New Mexico at a place called Gloriette. I'm sure you've never been there. Maybe you've been to Ridgecrest. But there's this big conference center. And there we were, and it was a special missions week. And they had this, this time for the teenagers, and they all had like a camp thing that summer. It was especially for them, all special events for them, and sports and games and T-shirts, the whole deal, just like youth camp here. And so they went out one day, and one of the events that they had for them was to go out and pass out vacation Bible school flyers for a new church plant in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of New Mexico. So my son and this little girl who had grown up in Moldova, and she also uh, spoke Russian, they were out, and they were teenagers, right? He's 16 years old, and they just say, look, let's pray and ask God to show us somebody to talk to today. And about the fourth door, they they knocked on the door, and the door barely opened, and through the screen, an elderly lady, older middle-aged lady said, they started talking, and she said, no English. My son heard something. He said, what do you speak? And she said, Russian. And you know what he said? He said, Dobry den, my name is Christopher. I'm American, I'm Nastoyashi, I'm living in Ukraine. I'm with you, I'm close to you, I'm close to you, I'm close to That's what you'd say, right? <laughs> so she flung the door open. Teenagers went inside. This lady was from Russia, all alone at home. She had never heard the gospel, and she happened to have a Bible like an icon. They said, is that a Bible up there? She goes, yeah, it's a Russian Bible. I've never read it. I don't understand it. And those kids said, we do. Can we show you some things? And they shared the gospel. And for the first time, this lady, this Russian lady in the mountains, mountains in New Mexico, heard the gospel for the first time in her own heart. My son came back that night, that evening. He found me at dinner. He said, Dad, and he told me the story. And he said, Dad, for the first time in my life, I knew that I was the only person at that place, at that time, that God could use. Dad, that's what I want. That's what I want. I don't want to ask you this. Have you come to that place in your life where there's the keys to the kingdom? God opens something up to you. You go, that's it. That's what I want. And you know what he did? We went back to Ukraine, and as a 17-year-old boy, we had a volunteer mission group from a church just like this, came and worked with us. And there were teenagers there, and they didn't bring anybody to work with teenagers. We didn't expect teenagers to come to this event, but 22 came. And they shared the gospel, and those young people all accepted Christ, most of them. They started a ministry. They started an outreach. It opened up a youth group, and before long, with a national partner, they planted a church that has planted several other churches and now has 20 nationalities because it's a university town meeting in that church because a teenage boy reached out his hands and took the keys to the kingdom. So I want to ask you this. What are the keys for you? Worship is more than a song. And mission in our adventure is more than an offering. It's about every day 
having a vision to hear and see what God's doing around us, how He's inviting us to join Him. Reach in our hands, take the keys of the kingdom. I love this church because I've heard about you. I believe this is a great church. God's going to launch things all throughout New England from this church, isn't He? Right? Because you're going to open your eyes. You're not going to look to yourself, but you're going to put your faith, your foundation in Jesus. He's going to be your foundation. And you're going to take the keys of the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I pray God as the pastor comes to lead the end of this service. Thank you for this wonderful church that has supported all of the things of Southern Baptist life. They've given to it. They've been a part of it. They've worked with mission teams. They've gone out on mission teams. And you're going to use this church. And it's not only its legacy, but its future. Lord, I pray for Stephen Woodard as he leads this church. Lord, I pray for the people in this church who are going to be excited to reach out and take the keys to the kingdom to be used by you. And Lord, over the next few years, I look forward to the great reports that I'll hear about what you've done through this church for your glory, for the kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.